When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDIC. It's an off day for the Red Sox, but not for the Fenway Rundown. I'm Chris Cotillo. Sean McAdam will be with me in a second. Mass Lives Red Sox podcast. Red Sox just wrapping up a sloppy, rainy series against the Rockies. They were able to steal a win Wednesday night after two losses. An off day today before heading into a big three-game series at home against the Yankees. First time the Yankees will have come to town all year. It's June 15th. I think it's a little too early to be looking at the trade deadline, considering the Red Sox are a very middling group. But, hey, what's the fun in waiting? We have Ken Rosenthal from The Athletic and Fox Sports joining us today. Ken's obviously one of the foremost experts in all things deadline, one of the best insiders in baseball. And so we decided it would be a good time to pick his brain on where the Red Sox stand, what they're doing, um, what they're going to do at the deadline, Bloom's future, and all that type of stuff. So appreciate Ken for his time. He was in New York last weekend for Red Sox-Yankees. He'll be at Fenway this weekend for Red Sox-Yankees. So uh, been around the team a little bit and has a good pulse on exactly what's going on and has some pretty interesting thoughts on what they're going to do in the next few weeks. So without further ado, Ken Rosenthal. We have Ken Rosenthal this week on the pod, as promised, The Athletic, Fox Sports, everywhere uh, you could possibly imagine. Ken, we really appreciate you taking the time to uh, join us. How's it going? Going well. Pleasure to be with you guys. We'll hop in. Obviously, uh, in our world, we've been watching a very middling Red Sox team uh, be very middling for now, you know, two and a half months. Now, I'll start with this. Just your thoughts on on the 34 and 35 Red Sox to this point, and then what is the league-wide perception, you know, the national perception of this team in this season, and then just what they've become as a franchise the last few years? Okay. This season... I was just looking this morning. They're seventh in the league in runs per game. They're eighth in the league in runs allowed per game. That kind of tells you the whole story. And the defense, of course, contributes to the runs allowed, and they've been horrible defensively. You guys have chronicled it well. 28th in DRS, last an ounce above about average, and you watch it every night, and those stats are legit. They reflect the reality. So I would say – when you ask the perception around the league, those are always tricky questions because different people have different opinions. But mm-hmm. it seems to me that there's a lot riding on this season for Bloom and the future of this franchise. And they've got some good things going and they'll have Story coming back and Duval's back now. I get it. But at the same time, they're lacking. And they've been lacking for quite some time now. And my question is, okay, let's say – you decide Bloom is not the answer and you want to go get someone else. Okay, that's fine. But where are you going? And what's your direction? What are you going to do? Some of this goes back to Mookie and Xander and letting those guys go and 
those are complicated issues, especially Mookie. I get that. But at the same time, your answers haven't been great. So that's the problem. And it's complex. It's not hopeless there by any stretch of the imagination because they've got resources and they've got some young players coming. I know we all know about Mayer. Mm -hmm. So I don't know how to exactly view it. It's not a great look right now. And they're in the best, the best division. We know they'd be leading the AL Central or close to it. I get that, but they're not in the AL Central. So here they are and they've got to figure out a way to climb out of it. And they're going to have some decisions at the deadline too, about where they're going just for 2023. I mean, do you feel like industry-wide, is there a perception that they're not trying to win on a consistent basis like they were, you know, previously under different regimes that feel like the focus has shifted? Chris, I don't know if I go that hard on it. Mm -hmm. That's what what fans think around here. I know that. And I understand that because of what happened with Mookie and Xander. I I get Mm -hmm. that totally. They're trying. The question is, are they trying hard enough? And Mm -hmm. should they have, gone to different places with those two players now Mookie I think I have a little bit more understanding of from their perspective because if indeed he didn't want to sign there and he has since kind of dispelled that by saying remember if he had the same offer from the Red Sox that he got from the Dodgers he would have stayed yep easy to say I don't know how true that is but I'll take him at his word okay that's one thing Xander that was John Lester all over again to me. That was a low ball situation and they never snapped out of it. And I didn't understand why they went about it the way they did. Now you can say fairly that 11 years is ridiculous and it is, and they shouldn't have gone there. Okay. But if those are the decisions you have to make, you have to come up with better solutions. And the Mookie trade turns out it wasn't horrible, but certainly wasn't great. And granted, they did offload price and all that, but it's not like they crushed it in that trade. I don't know if they were ever going to crush it. And Xander, of course, you just lose him. So those are things that I'm sure fans do latch on, and understandably so. Those are two great homegrown players. One of them is going to be a Hall of Famer, and the other one is just really good. So I get that. But at the same time, it's not like their payroll has gone down to Oakland A's level either. Maybe it's not reflecting what Boston should be and the money mm-hmm. that they make, but it's not embarrassing by any stretch. Ken, you said that this will be a key year in key season in determining the future of Heim Bloom, and that's certainly true. But if we look at the track record of this ownership, they are not above making midseason changes. Ben Charrington was essentially supplanted in August. Dave Dombrowski was summarily dismissed 11 months after winning a championship. So it's not as if there isn't precedent for an in-season front office move, as rare as those are across the game. Is there any chance if they continue to flounder around 500 and don't get back closer into wildcard contention that the trap door gets pulled before the end of the season? Sean, based on what you just cited, the history, I don't see how you can say there isn't a chance. There's definitely a chance, but... I'll say this. If you're going to do that, you're going to let High and Bloom have another deadline? If, if that's the perception and that's the evaluation, that he's not the guy, okay, that's fine. But why let him go through one more deadline? If I recall correctly, both Ben Sherrington and Dombrowski were after the deadline, right? Yes, correct. And Okay, so it's kind of, 
that kind of makes no sense to me when, when a team does that. Granted, you bring a GM in now or a president of baseball operations, whatever the title might be, and it's difficult because you have to learn the organization before the deadline. I understand all that, but it does seem kind of counterintuitive to do this after the deadline and after the draft for that matter. So it could happen during this season. You're right. There's certainly precedent for it. It's very rare elsewhere. It is. It seemed like Dombrowski to me, there were some personality things going on and that kind of forced it. The Sherrington thing was odd. I always felt that. So yes, it's possible. And certainly history suggests that. I don't know that it's advisable. We talk a lot about Heim Bloom because he's the guy in charge of putting the roster together. But lately, there's been a little bit more attention paid to the dugout and manager Alex Cora's role and future. It would seem that at times, Cora and Bloom are at cross purposes. That's not exactly rare when it comes to a manager and a head of baseball ops who are at different goals and have different perspectives. But what's Cora's standing now? Uh, he's in danger of finishing last for the second straight time. I know he still is regarded well throughout the industry, but could his job also be on the line? And where does he stand? You're asking me to predict the whims of Red Sox ownership. And that's a very <laughs> difficult thing to do. Well, we can't do it, so we have to pull you in. <laughs> it seems like ownership likes him, right? They brought him back after the scandal, and that indicates right there that they have a very strong affection for Alex Cora. At the same time, you're right. The record is what it is. And if you bring in a new top executive, you want that top executive to have his own manager. Heimbloom has never had that chance, right? He got Alex Cora back. So it's going to be interesting because it, I'm watching the Mets, okay? And I'll go drift off topic for one second. The Mets are playing in a way that would get their manager fired under many circumstances. It's poor mental approach. It's tons of mistakes, things happening that you would never want to see. And you wonder if that ultimately will lead to trouble for Buck Showalter. Well, the Red Sox aren't exactly playing a crisp brand of baseball. Now, a lot of that is personnel. KK Hernandez, which surprises me, but he's not a shortstop. He always has been a great defender, but this year, for whatever reason, he has fallen apart at shortstop. They've addressed that. They've addressed it with Cassis as well. He's not a great defender. So I don't know how much you can put of that on Cora, but you see things like the Mickey Mouse Little League home run that happened in Tampa Bay a few weeks ago, and you wonder what's going on there. So some of that does reflect on the manager, and you can certainly make a case to clean house entirely if you want at the end of the season or even before that. I just don't know, again, as I said, the whims of Red Sox ownership. It's kind of an unpredictable moving target. As you mentioned before, very important deadline coming up for the Red Sox as they sit you know, here hovering around 500 as they have for the last couple of weeks. We've seen the ups and downs. Last year, they did that weird you know, straddle the buy-sell fence, I think, in a, in a disappointing way where they offload Vasquez, which really ruffled feathers in the clubhouse but they didn't get under the CBT and they're the only team, you know, to not do that and, and miss the playoffs. And so just half measures, I feel like it's going to be a tough, you know, for no pun, a tough sell to do that again for this team. If, if things stay kind of the same and they're in the same spot six weeks from now, 
Do you see them going full fire sale mode here? Hmm. Full fire sale mode is what? I would say trading Paxton, Kike, Duval. Duval. Yeah. Jans- Jansen. I, I mean, there's a lot of there's a lot of chips. You could trade Jansen. I mean, he's got another year. Yeah. There is a lot you could trade. I and mean, Jansen will have value. Have probably value to his former team, by the way. Mm-hmm. Um they could do that. And at this point, the fans are upset enough already that if you did that, you're gonna upset them that much more. The team is not very good. I think people would want to see actually some action taken along those lines. The average Red Sox fan would not want to sit there and watch two more months of what they've been watching. So yeah, that's possible. And if they reach that point, that's damning too, right? Because right. hey, it hasn't worked. So it's going to be really interesting to see. They cannot do what they did last year. Last year, to this day, it gives me a headache thinking about it. Mm-hmm. And if you were going to do these half measures, kind of stay in. If you're going to stay in it, you don't trade Vasquez. I don't want to harp on this. I don't want to get back to it. I know it's been discussed at nauseum, but that's the one move you don't make if you're trying to stay in it. If you're trading Vasquez, then go ahead, trade everybody else. And they didn't do that. Do you think, I mean, if you, we, we talk about, you know, Jansen and I, I'd throw Chris Martin in. He's had a great year. He's got another sure. year left. A guy like Verdugo with a year and a half left. I mean, if it, I feel like, as you said, they're going to do this. They got to do it, you know, to a, to a certain level and they have to do it right. And, and nobody can be untouchable, maybe except for, you know, Bayo, Whitlock, Hauk, some of these young, young pieces they want to build around. I agree with that. And if you're going to do that, why not go full out? But at the same time, I think their logic would be, based on the way they've acted in the past, we want to compete next year. We're not mm-hmm. going all the way south, nor should they. So if we want to compete next year, we keep Jansen, we keep Verdugo, we keep Martin, and we take another run at it. I can see that being more their approach. Because honestly, if Paxton stays upright and keeps pitching like this, he's going to have tremendous value. Mm-hmm. Duval can have solid value. Kike, not so much, but for Paxton and Duval alone, I think you'd do okay. So I would be surprised if they went to the lengths that you suggested. Maybe one of those guys, maybe you do Chris Martin, mm-hmm. but if you're planning on competing next year, and I can't imagine that they're not, I don't see them going all out with this. Ken, this is the second straight weekend that we've got Red Sox Yankees. That means national telecast, and that means you were around the team in New York for a couple of days uh, last weekend. We got a chance to talk briefly. Um, Wondering what your sense is, just kind of, I know this is sort of a cliche, but the vibe around the Red Sox as you get a chance to make your way around the clubhouse, do some interviews, gather things for the Fox telecast on the game of the week. What did you sense about how the team was feeling about itself and what the chemistry and all of that was like surrounding the team? I didn't think it was terrible, and I didn't think they played a bad series in New York. Actually, I thought it was pretty good, and they were defensively better. They pitched well. Denver's got going a little bit. So I, I was sort of thinking at that point, all right, maybe they take off a little bit, and then Colorado happens, and no, it's back to square one. I didn't sense the vibe was bad, but they have some individuals in that room, right? They, Verdugo is his own guy. Kike is a little bit different. They have, I wouldn't say an odd mix, but the problem I have with them is 
Devers is the guy, and there is just a bunch of complimentary players around him. And that wasn't the case when they had Mookie and Bogarts and others. JD, for instance. That, to me, is the principal issue with the team. I don't think they hate each other or anything like that. I don't know that it's a great vibe, but they're not a great team. And which comes first, the chicken or the egg, the vibe or the winning? It's always a question. So I don't know that that really struck me as horrible in any way, but the makeup of the team, the issues on the field, that to me is more paramount with regard to where they are now. We'll wrap up here with a couple of, of zooming out kind of big picture questions. I think you said on, on Foul Territory, one of those shows the other day, that you expect this to be a deadline that is not as exciting as the last few years just around the league. And obviously, I think we've seen the expanded playoff format play into that a little bit. Just league-wide, do, we, do you expect kind of a, as you said a couple of weeks ago, slower, less exciting situation? And then do you view still Otani as being completely off the table? No, I don't see Otani getting moved. And people outside of Anaheim sometimes don't really quite grasp what this season means to the Angels. And they've put a lot into this season. If you go back to the offseason, the players that they've acquired, Renfro and Anderson, Urshela, Drury, they did a lot. Then during the season, they've promoted a number of young players aggressively. Zach Neto, you've seen him at shortstop. He played a pretty good series at Fenway, if I'm not mistaken. And he's a good player. And they've done that with some pitching as well. So they're really trying. They're in the wild card race. I just don't see them doing anything. They're not great, but I can't see them giving up on the season. Now, Chris, as for the league-wide question, it's funny. I did say that somewhere, that I don't expect it to be an exciting deadline, but you never know what will happen in the next six weeks. And I never trust, trust is not even the right word. I never expect GMs to just sit still and not do anything. These guys are wired to do stuff. So maybe we'll see some really creative things happen. And maybe we'll see some surprising sellers because of what is going on. And you might see some teams that do a little bit of both, like the Red Sox last year, but in a more creative, effective way. So it's a little too early to predict what's going to happen. We've got some teams, St. Louis, Seattle, even some of the bigger teams that are not playing that well. And either they're going to want to do something to improve and to kind of get over the hump, or maybe they'll deconstruct to some extent, or maybe more likely do a little bit of both. And this could lead to a lot of action. We're not going to see Juan Soto, I don't think, again, but – we could see some interesting things. Okay, so that's the trade deadline. <clears throat> Skipping ahead to the winter, it is going to be a, a crazy free agency season, headlined, of course, by the presence of Otani, who is unquestionably going to get the biggest deal any free agent has ever gotten. It's a matter of who and how much and where. Um, how do you see the Otani market developing? How do you see free agency in general? And has the underperformance of a lot of big free agents from the last class, Turner, Correa, does that slow spending at all on the part of the owners? They're usually very hot to trot with their money right after CBA has been signed. Maybe that explains last winter. Is it going to cool off because we're a year into this now and so many other guys have been disappointments? It's a great question. and. With Otani, the industry-wide perception is he's a Dodger. 
And we don't know. Things happen. You never can predict these things entirely. The Dodgers certainly do want him. The Angels, of course, would want him back. I don't see him staying there, especially if they don't compete really well this year. Does he want to play on the East Coast? We don't know. All these questions, but the Dodgers seem to be the team that is the most likely. Now, as for the others, it's an interesting question because do you judge a free agent class on one-year performance too? Most of these guys, we've seen this time and time again, take time to transition, and it, it doesn't happen right away. They need a year maybe to kind of get their feet under them, and then they start playing better. Also, this is a starting pitching-heavy class coming up. It's not a bat-heavy class. So the guys you're talking about who are struggling this year, mostly shortstops, right? I don't know that it will impede the owners from spending. As you say, they're always hot to trot. And there's always this momentum that builds in free agency and teams get pressure from fans. Owners want to win. And, well, not all owners, but most owners or a good number of owners want to win. And it goes from there. So I don't know that I see it slowing down, but certainly it's going to be an interesting one. And the other thing, Sean, you know this too, both of you guys know this, all it takes is one team, always. Took one team for the for your shooter to get 90 million. It was the Red Sox. Turns out it might not be that bad a move, right? So I can see a similar eruption this winter. Yeah. That's Ken Rosenthal. This is the Fenway Rundown. Ken, we know that uh, it was a slim chance of getting you in July, so to do it in June and get all this info is is much appreciated, and I assume we'll see you at Fenway this weekend. I'll be there, guys. Thanks. <laughs> <laughs>